Welcome to the Four Corners Podcast with Lenny Marcus. Joining me today, as always, is my co-host, Neil Apotter. Hey there. Four topics, 15 minutes each. We're just killing time. Kill it with us. Our Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram is the number 4C Podcast. Subscribe on iTunes. Listen to us on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com. Today's guest is originally from, and I'm quoting him, New York Country, which is the name of one of his albums, a stand-up lifer. His career covers almost 40 years in show business. He may be the only person to say he has performed at the height of the comedy store in L.A., as well as the comic strip and the comedy cellar in New York City. He has been seen on The Late Show with David Letterman and has seen the stand-up boom, wane, and boom again, and I'm sure he would call this visit a boom and the highlight of his huge career. Please welcome Ross Bennett! Yay! Pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. There you go, Ross. Thanks for coming. Let's talk about you for 15. Sit down. (laughs) (laughs) Upstate New York. Somehow you go from there, and there's a military background, so I'm here with your dad, and you get into stand-up comedy. What was it like growing up up in New York country? Well, first off, I'm always uh, uh, hesitant to use the term upstate New York. Because right. for a person like yourself, a real New York City person, right. upstate New York is Westchester. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's all there are a bunch of <laughs> bunch of farmers up there in Westchester. Okay, and then you might even people almost go, well, that's uh, Albany. That's you know, the, my whole thing is it's Western New York. It's uh, the western tip of New York. You know, out in Buffalo. Uh, yeah, well, not as far as Buffalo. Come on, I'm not a hick. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, but out in that direction. Right. Okay. But you have to realize that back in the uh, back in the day, back in the 17, 1800s, yep. that was out west. When they said out west, yeah, that's what they were talking about. They were talking about 300 miles west. It was just nothing but just forests For, out there. Right. So uh, that's my hometown is Hornell, New York. And um, what was it like growing up there? Small town. Yep. I think it was about fifteen thousand people when I was there when yep. I when I was a kid, and it was I was just talking to my sister about it. It was the best. It was at it was at a small community. It was like it was like it was like Leave It to Beaver back kinda, then too, right? Kind well, yeah. Except except that the town was self contained. Could you leave the doors open? That kind of thing. There was you, everybody knew the cops and the fire department. Oh yeah, yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we, you know, we we had four numbers on our phone. What do you mean? Our home, our home phone was two seven four six, and we didn't have a dial. It was just, you just pick it up, and and she goes, and Betty, yeah. <laughs> Who do you want to talk to? Oh, it was one of those Murray yeah, Hill yeah, five yeah, yeah. Oh my god, no, it wasn't god. Murray Hill five. Well, I mean, you know, no, no, it was a four. It was four, just four, four digits, digit, just four, four digits. Digit. So um, that was kind of cool. Yeah, and I and I, uh, I'm pleased with the, that. That's where I came from because it gives me a different perspective on everything where I go. And what's it like now? What's it like now? Well, the thing is, it was it was a train town. Oh, okay. it was a town where uh, the Erie. It was the shops for the Erie Railroad. Right. Uh, okay. So that's where everything went, and and everybody it was a train town, and when the trains went under, the town, uh, very similar to that. Okay. So it's so it's. I don't want to say it's a wasteland. Okay, but it's a, it's a sad. You know, like my my joke is the Walmart moved in, and and uh, everybody. You know, we had four hundred businesses. We now have one business. We have Walmart. And everybody either is on welfare or working for Walmart. Walmart. <laughs> oh, God. And so what's the entertainment uh, that's coming into you via the TV? For Yes, like- we had four channels. Yeah. Uh, they were out of, uh, from my first part, you know, up until like 63 or 64, it was three channels. Right. And it was like Buffalo and Syracuse and, and Rochester, ABC, NBC, CBS. And then... Right around sixty four or so, we got <laughs> we got we got WPIX. Ah, right? yeah, there you go. And my God, I never seen, <laughs> never seen anything. I mean, I'm in New York City, like all yeah. of a sudden, boom in my head. You know, there was there was there was ads for Palisades Amusement Park. You know, there was there was Wonderama, Wonderama, Sunny Fox. That's right. And we used to get Chuck McCann reading the Sunny the the Sunday Funnies to you, and it's like not not as wow. I never seen anything like this before in my life. <laughs> the was funnies. uh and but your dad was military, right? 
My dad was a retired Marine. He was a Marine Corps Lieutenant Colonel in the Reserves. Right. Now, the joke is, you know, you know what the Reserves are. Uh, a guy in the Marine Corps Reserves is someone whose, mother, whose wife will not let him be in the regular Marine Corps. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll give you this two weeks of summer, but, you know, that's it. But he thought he was um, Army, right? Uh, he was Marines. Yeah, and, uh, Marines, sorry. Uh, so he was in, what happens is he goes, he goes into World War II, and then he stays in the Reserves afterwards. He gets called back in during Korea. He did stateside duty in Korea. But I could see this guy having like the haircut. Yes, sir. No, sir. It wasn't Were so much yes, like sir. That? No, sir. But I mean, it was like it was just scary. <laughs> you know, it's just scary. You know, just, you know, just don't wake. Don't wake the dragon. That's right. <laughs> you know, uh, but the, the, what happens is in 67, mm -hmm. height of the Vietnam War, he gets called back in because all the all the stateside regular Marines are now over in Vietnam. And they got to fill in the posts. Oh, here. And so they would use reservists to come in and do this. And so he became the housing officer in Quantico, Virginia. And he was a lieutenant colonel. And we moved down there. And so I got oh. to see I got to see what it was like to be a, like an army brat, right. quote unquote army brat, for two years. Did you like it? Yeah. It was very interesting. Uh, it messed me up moving around like that. Mm. I mean, these kids who like were in 10 schools over the course of 12 years, I don't know how they survived. Did you get out and go? So where'd you go to college? Did you go to college? Well, I went to lots of colleges. <laughs> <laughs> so we ended up down in Florida. Okay. We ended up down in Florida, and I graduated high school down there in 73, mm -hmm. and I go to University of Florida, and you know why you picked the University of Florida? Because it's the number one party school in the country, and I knew that, <laughs> because, knew that? Of, because of Playboy magazine, <laughs> and um, because, you know, uh, uh, and so I went to the University of Florida, Right after high school, like the two days later, I wanted to get the hell out of the house. Right. And by November, I was completely strung out on, on drinking and, and pot, and I was in a fraternity, and I was going crazy. <laughs> and uh, so I resigned. I, I quit. Right. And enlisted in the Army. Oh, shit. So yeah. that's what happens. November of 73, I, I go in the Army. Wait, you did that yourself, or your parents told you to do that? Oh, God, no. <laughs> you, I, I, I couldn't. I didn't tell them. Oh, oh because the thing is, is, you know, my, my particular family, it was like, you got to go to college. Here's the basic, as I understood the rules, you got to go to college, you got to graduate. You don't have a life until you can graduate from college. You can't get married or own a car until right. you're out of college. Those, right. are, those are the three basic rules. Now, I can understand why these kids jump off of buildings, because <laughs> if you don't want to be in college, right. and those are the rules you got to live off of, you know, what's your option? My option was, I'm going to join the Army. You sunk, so at college, you sunk really, you're like, holy shit, I'm out of control. Like you, you must have self-checked yourself. Kinda. I was just, it was just, <laughs> you know, I, I was just uh, lost. And you, you just, and then you go to the military like that. Why is that your choice? Because you knew it from your Well, parent? it was like joining the French Foreign Legion. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, I, I, I just, See, I did it to escape. Yeah. Get out, I had, okay. I, there was no other place I could go. So, and also the discipline probably cleaned you up quick. I don't know about that. Or did it make the, you a rebel? Well, what happens? Any, any place, if you're, it, it's a, let's just see you're a pothead. Okay. If you're a pothead, no matter where you go, within five minutes, you're going to find the other pothead. <laughs> <laughs> They're in the army. You know, yeah. Oh God! I mean, I ended up at West. You know, I ended up at West Point as a cadet. Oh, okay. So. And I'm saying probably within three three weeks, four weeks, I knew who else smoked pot, and I went there with the intention of never smoking pot. Right. But eventually, you know, in the afternoons after class. You and the group of, you know, malcontents right. are taking a walk in the woods. I think we're going to go jogging. <laughs> really? Why do you need that fanny pack? Don't ask questions. <laughs> um, so did you graduate West Point? No, I, I stayed for a year and a half. Okay. And so now it, it, we're talking about now it's uh, I'm 20 years old, almost 21. It's 1977. I'm 21. It's 1977. Right. And the comedy boom there's the beginnings of the rumblings of it. Oh, wow. During the, I remember during well, the, How do you know about it up in West Point? That's the well, most first sheltered off, place, right? What, when does Saturday Night Live start? Saturday Night Live starts Five, no, in 1975. So I'm in my plebe year, so I know nothing about it. Right. Except I go home for uh, Christmas. Yeah. And then on TV, uh, you see Saturday Night Live. And all of these people about my, maybe a couple right. years older than I am, having the greatest time on earth. The host is Steve Martin. Right. He's, he's the man. this guy's the biggest thing in the country. Yeah. Okay. And it's like, just seems like so much fun. And we'd all grown up listening to like, you know, uh, George Carlin and everything, you know, it was very, very, fairly small world you would observe. Yeah. Okay. And whoever was on the recordings and the like, and it was like, all of a sudden it's like, 
I don't know. I, I just got to be a part of this. Oh, that's I just got to be a part of this. What a great choice. You're at the, and it explodes. And I left, um, I left in February of 77. My dad still wanted me to go to college. Mm-hmm. I went down to Florida Atlantic University in Boca Raton. I know where that is. And uh, I lasted a year there, did some plays <laughs> there. And I met this guy. It was all revolves around marijuana. I met this guy. I, did a, I was doing a, a thing at a, a, a talent show at Friends in a place called Friends in Fort Lauderdale. I met this guy after the show. It was the first time I'd ever seen a comedian who every joke worked. Mm. I mean, I'd never seen that before. Right. I mean, it was, for me, it's like, you know, we'll find out. Who was it? Do you when, remember? Oh, Ted Holum. <laughs> Ted Holum. And after the show, so I did my thing and he did his thing, and all these guitar players at the talent show. But Fred was down, and Ted was down from Chicago. And we go out to his car after, you're kind of funny. And he goes, and he, we smoked a joint, you know, and one of these guys who always had the pot that was like better than, you know, <laughs> where, where did this, I've never seen this. <laughs> and, um, and he said, you know, I got, a cl- I got a couple of clubs up in Chicago. We had these, these showcase rooms, workshops. Like the comedy story, the you know, right. and one they were in the suburbs of Chicago. One was in Lyons, one was in Rosemont. Comedy womb, right? Where comedians are born, <laughs> and the comedy cottage in Rosemont. And he goes, "If you move up here, I can put you on stage ten times a week. I can't give you any money, but I can put you on ten stage ten times a week." And I knew at that point, it's 1978. I'm 23 years old. I know. Amongst my marijuana cloud of a brain, that I needed stage time. That this was something that you're going to have to you know, get on stage a lot to learn how to do it. And next stop, Chi Town. Next time was next stop was Chicago. I was up there for like four months. I met a guy up there uh, who had come out from San Francisco. His name was Frank Kidder, mm-hmm. and he's the guy who invented the San Francisco comedy competition. Oh, and they had it was a it was like a a month-long event. Mm-hmm. There was 40 slots. They couldn't get 40 people. Right. So he's out trying to get people to do it. And he's, and nobody, everybody treats him as no tooth in the front. He's a crazy <laughs> man. He's a crazy man. But he had marijuana. <laughs> and he needed a place to stay. Okay. So he comes and he st- I let him stay in my, where I was staying. And he had this, this t- uh, audio tape of the previous year's, uh, and, and like Dana Carvey won... Wow. And it was like A. Whitney Brown was on it and a few other people. And, and this I, is 70. This is 78. And wow. so I'm listening to this. Mm-hmm. And, it's the, and I've never heard, never heard a show like this before. These guys are killing <laughs> They're destroying <laughs> A. Whitney Brown is still a juggler at this point. Yeah. Now it's time for the under the crotch machete shot. <laughs> you know, this guy who's just a master of language, yeah. you know. Yeah. Hi, my name is A. Whitney Brown. Some people call me the Whitney Brown. <laughs> Genius. Okay. So what happens is uh, I decide to go out to see him. None of the, none of the Chicago comics, I mean, Evil Phillips is there, people you may know, but nobody wanted to go out. Nobody took this guy seriously, but I looked at it as an opportunity. So I got to San Francisco. Right. I make it to the semis, made a little name for myself there. And uh, then I ended up back in Chicago. I remember working at a, a a place where they were making mirrors for cocaine. You know, you know <laughs> what? Yeah, we got someone's got to put the groove in the mirror. <laughs> okay, and uh, and I'm kind of wasting it away, and I just have the sense what I got to do is I got to move <laughs> to L.A. I, at this point, I knew I I can either develop here, mm-hmm. get a good act. But you were doing and tons of stage time in Chicago. You just, were you doing know, the ten shows. I was just doing like you know maybe seven eight. By Did you have time. a good act by then? I had an act. I could get okay. laughs. I've always been able to get laughs. Right. You know? And uh, so I end up in, uh, uh, I go back to Florida, sell the few possessions I had. I had a camera and I had a few things. And I buy a one-way ticket on Western Airlines. And I sold my car. I had a Delmont 88. Got like 300 bucks for it. When, you know, I went to the, there was always, there were these lines of things, that, you know, we'll buy your car for cash. And the first one I go to, it goes, I'll give you $300. I said, I think it's worth more than that. He goes, oh, I don't know. I think it's worth $300. He goes, if you leave here, don't come back. (laughs) (laughs) So I took the $300. I bought my one-way ticket. I went out to L.A. on a one-way ticket. I had a duffel bag from the Army, and I had about $200 in my pocket. No place. And a friend I'd met, the guy I met up in um, uh, San Francisco, let me stay on his couch. Wow. And I'm now, and now it's like January of 7th. And where in L.A. are you living? Oh, I, well, this was, he was right in West Hollywood. Oh, okay. He was gay, great guy, Al Allen Peterson. And if you ever see uh, um, 
Blazing Saddles, yeah. when she sings the number, you know, yeah. about uh, I'm tired. Right. And the three Germans come out. And yeah. He, he's one of those dancers. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Damn. And uh, he was a very nice guy. Yeah. And uh, so what happens is uh, I now go and I audition at the comedy store. Mm-hmm. Mitz- uh, is it Mitzi? Mitzi's there, but she wasn't there that night. That said, you should come back sometime when she's here. Okay. And um, uh, then I go and I audition at the, at the improv. And, and Joanne Astro, who's now a big manager and everything, okay. she said, you got to come back next week. Bud will love you. And so I came back next week. Bud loved me. Uh, put me over to the Red Book. He goes, you're going to be a star. Didn't say, didn't, <laughs> didn't say when. <laughs> um, but he was very, very, you know, right. it, it, was, it was the kind of thing where every comedian in the place hated me at that moment. Was Evening at the Improv on at that oh, point? Oh, no, this is, this is, this is before five, that. six years before that. Okay. And what are your parents saying this whole time? Are they, like, supporting this? Are they to a care? point. Yeah, yeah. You know, care. my mother just wants me to be happy. Yeah. And my father wants me to call my mother, so I'll be out, she'll see <laughs> off his ass, you know? Okay, keep going. So what happens is, um, now I do the show, mm-hmm. and I have no, pl- you know, I have nothing. I mean, tell you where my money management was. My $210, first thing I did was bought pot and quaaludes. <laughs> and then I sold half of a bag of pot for a tattoo. I traded a pot, pot for tattoo. This is where my focus is. And I'm, I'm living on a couch <laughs> with a duffel bag. And I turn, and what happens is I do my show. Kill. It was like, you know, magic. Mm-hmm. And um, I turn around, this woman, and this woman's looking up at me with a smile on her face. I've, and I've never, you know, there's two kinds of guys, you know, you know and uh, uh, one that women like and, and one that women try to avoid. Right. But if you're one of those people who they try and avoid, uh, every once in a while you come across one who, who you're, you're the key that fits her lock. <laughs> and I'd look, this, this woman looked up at me. I never had a woman look at me like this before in my life. And um, that night we smoked a joint. It's all about joints. We smoked a joint and we were in Al Allen Peterson's uh, living room. No one else was there. And um, of course, I said, I just got a tattoo. She goes, Really? I said, I can't show it. She's got a patch. She said, Let me see it. And I pull, pull it back. It's a little stupid little heart and, and uh, uh, rainbow and stars and stuff like that. In the middle of it, it's this heart. It's about maybe, maybe about that big, it's less than the size of a penny. Okay. And she sees that heart. She grabs her breast, her, her t shirt, pulls it up. She has no bra on. She had the exact same heart <laughs> on God. her heart. Holy shit. So is that the future Mrs. Bennett right there? Yeah, I we uh, I moved in the next day. Yeah, we were together until she died. And amazing. Know? And um, wait, tell Neil you got married at the comedy store. Got married at the comedy store. I mean, there was hills and valleys. Right. Uh, but I ended up working at both clubs, and uh, ended up uh, in '82. Got married on the stage of the comedy store. You can see it on my website. Yeah. Or if you go to YouTube on my YouTube channel, it's unbelievable. It's uh, and and two in the town and Entertainment Tonight came out. And, and uh, your best man was? My best man was uh, Mark Andrew, a guy I knew from West Point okay. who had, didn't graduate either. He got turned out. But there were some big year. people there at that wedding, right? Not really. No? No. Sam Kinnison. Kinnison, right. Kinnison was supposed to be the minister. Right. And But he uh, didn't show up for the rehearsal. Okay? <laughs> so I had a friend uh, who was an actor, a real actor, who had uh, a unit, one of those universal life ministries, so he could legally do that. And uh, his name was Charlie Murphy, the other Charlie. This was an actor, Charlie Murphy. And Charlie, uh, I'm so glad he did it instead of Sam. Because Sam would have just turned into a screaming mess. (laughs) You know, it would have been the Sam show. It would have been the Sam show. Charlie, on the other hand, was an actor. He took my script, which was a great script. And he delivered it as an actor. He he nailed. He said he'd never had a part like that before in his life. Because he nailed all these great lines in it. One line in it was... um, at one point he goes, as we stand here in front of uh, 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 God, this company, and Mitzi. <laughs> and then I whisper in his ear and he goes, Mitzi, God, and this company. <laughs> you know, so there was, there was wonderful lines like that. Did your that wife that, love this? Oh, she was the best. You know, I mean, she, yeah. she had show business desires. We were, we were just kids who... Yeah. Who just wanted to be part of that scene, you know? Oh, we just wanted to make it. That's all we wanted to do. So cool. All right, let's move on to the comedy <laughs> portion of the second thing. That is so cool. I could talk about that all day. We'll come eventually around to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But you're there during that boom. Let's talk about stand-up comedy now for 15 Well, so minutes. when I get there, yep. there's no work. Right. Okay, when I get there, 
all there is is, I mean, the, the comedy store is just an, an unbelievable show. I go to see a show at the comedy store. Kenison, like, Carvey. No, no, this is oh. all before that. This oh, okay. is when I get there, I go to see a show there. Uh, this is a six-hour show, eight till two. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first three comics, you don't know them. They're people. She's and none of these people are getting paid. This is before the strike. Right. No one's getting paid. Then I saw ten comics in a row who I'd seen on television. <laughs> I saw Johnny Dark. I saw George Miller, Tom Dreesen, Skip Stevenson. All these people, okay, right. and they're just killing, every one of them is killing, 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 <laughs> and they're all working clean. Right. They're all, I'm noticing, they're, everybody there is clean. Then an act comes up, David Letterman. Now, David had just done The Tonight Show, and he, so now he was hot, and he was, he was so good. I tell people this, they don't get it. Right. But his... Nobody ever saw him do stand-up. Huh? Nobody uh, ever right. saw him do a traditional stand-up. So. The thing is, his jokes, his setups got the same level of response as the other guy's punchlines. Right. Okay. Because it's just his, his, his ironic attitude towards the setup, you know, uh, a waiter comes over, says, I got the, uh, the burn the French fries. So what I did to make it up to you, I threw some extra on your plate. Okay. <laughs> now just his, just that gets a giant laugh. Okay. Right. Cause the way he delivers it. And then his, his punchline is one thing I like better than bad food. And that's plenty of it. Okay. <laughs> He explodes, just walks out, standing. And now, and he's the first guy who dropped an F-bomb during his thing. And it wasn't in a joke. It was just in reference to what somebody said, something on the the stage, something in the audience. So then it becomes the blue part of the show. So now you got these guys I had seen on the HBO special when I was at West Point, Tim Thomerson and Bob Shaw, these guys who were like the stalwarts. They were the the, the class before me. Mm -hmm. These are older guys. And... They both destroy. I get to see these sets that I had seen a couple of years order, old, earlier that had inspired me to be there. And then Robin Williams comes out. And Robin comes out, and it's just an explosion. I've never seen anything like that before in my life. You know, just everything, everything. And the people are just responding. Every moment is just destroying. And then he does like 25 minutes or so. Then he leaves. Two thirds of the audience leaves, <laughs> and they still have another two hours of show. Jeez. Okay, and I'm sitting right there, and I'm going, "How do I right. fit into this? How do I? You know, I, this this is what I aspire to. How do I make this happen? How did you? You know, just ignorance and perseverance and, and denial. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I had no idea what I was doing. Luck. I think what what served me the best was. The only work there really was, there was no comedy clubs. There was just now a couple of clubs. There was like the Punchline in San Francisco had opened. There's a place, the Punchline in Atlanta. There was a comedy spot in uh, uh, Dallas. A few places started to pop up that were paying the comics. And I happened to be there at that time. And these places needed acts because they didn't have local uh, comedy bases of, of, of comics they could draw from. Right. Okay. So they were paying, you know, they paid $500 for an opening act and oh, they wow. give you, and they'd send you the ticket. <laughs> these were the days. <laughs> <laughs> and um, my, and my goal was to be a comedy club headliner. That was, you know, I, I set my, I always set my goals on something that was obtainable for me. You right. Know? You know, sure, I'd love to be a star. I want to be, you know, Seinfeld had people going, you know, no. You, his goal was to get out of the clubs. Mm-hmm. My goal was to get into the clubs. Right. Okay. And within about a year and a half, I became a comedy club headliner. And 40 so years. So you're running 40, around the country. Yeah, yeah. Taking you know, whatever work I can get. And like my, my thing is 40 years later, uh, I wish I'd set my sights higher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, your base was still L.A., but you have, you know, you're married, was, you have a baby. Base, no baby at that time. No baby yet. My base is L.A. and Any um, evening at the Improv, any Tonight Show. There was any... no evening at the Improv at that time. Uh, I auditioned for the Tonight Show. I did a good set. Jim McCauley said I didn't see anything I thought was funny. <laughs> what? And I, definitely, <laughs> and I definitely didn't see anything that Johnny would think was funny. Oh, fuck. And of course, I've always said that, that at that moment, that's when my drinking went from being a problem to being full-scale alcoholism. Oh, man. Because I just didn't know how to handle that. Yeah. But, you know, and, and he's saying this under, you know, as he's burping, you know, big bourbon belches in your face. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know Smirnoff at the time? Yes, yes. And so and he had the same, that whole thing that he does in his one-person show of how the tragedy with John, the whole Johnny story, that was around the same time or no? Uh, yeah, that was in, in, in maybe a little bit later. 
So you okay. both lived that existence. You were big comics in L.A., but then Macaulay said no. We weren't big but, comics. We were just part of the, you know, the scene. What this is, is this is this is like the gold rush. Right. This is 1849. This is the gold rush. <laughs> right. People are hearing that there's gold out in California. Go do it. And they start selling their stuff and getting in wagons and heading out to California. And that's what it was like. That's how I view it. Right. Is that we, everybody in, in my age knew there was something going on. Right. And this was going to be something. We didn't know what was going to be something. We all mm. want to be a part of it. So these are guys dropping out of college. How many guys out there had... Uh, left in their senior year of of of, of, uh, of law school. Oh wow! You know what I'm saying? Just you know, it was just a draw. Jeez. You know that's you realize that's how the gold rush would happen. Is you just had to be out there. And Carson was still every that was on everybody's. Thing. Well, that was that was the whole thing. Is that yeah. you know there, there's really like five or six people who made a, an appearance on Carson and their life changed the next day. Right. But you know, I mean, uh, Paul Rodriguez. Uh, he was one. He was. I don't know. I, I I look at him more like Roseanne. Okay. Roseanne. Right. Um, um, Roseanne. <laughs> Tim Allen. Huh. Tim Allen. No. Tim. No? Tim Allen's story is, he he was he was a he was a theater. He was already filling theaters. Mm. Okay. Jim McCauley comes to see him at like the I think the Wiltern Theater in Los Angeles. And, you know, he's, he's got, Tim's kind of got 1,500, 2,000 people there, right? <laughs> yeah. Kills. And he goes to Macaulay afterwards and he goes, what about? And he goes, what do you think? And Macaulay goes, what? And he goes, I want to be on the show. And, and, and he goes, and Macaulay said, I can get you tickets. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, tough room, man. That okay. guy's a tough audience. I'll tell you about him in a second. Yeah, so this guy control is control. You got to imagine, you got to imagine. So now Tim becomes a giant star. Mm -hmm. A few years later, he gets a TV show. He's a giant star. And Carson wants him on the show. It's a great show. And Tim will go on. <laughs> and he finds out why Macaulay had to go over and personally apologize. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Okay. That's how it happens. Oh, it's as good as it gets. <laughs> <laughs> this, is the, this is the guy. I, always, I, tell, you know, I teach a class now. Yeah. And I tell him, I said, be, be good to everybody. Be kind. Be nice. You know, don't be, don't be a jerk. Because whoever you're a jerk with, at some point is going to be sitting across the table who you're going to need a job from. That's right. Okay. The, uh, the other guy was Dennis Miller. Miller, right. Who Mitzi t said uh, when he auditioned for her, I think she oh said, boy. you need a sweater. <laughs> a okay. sweater? A sweater. She's been on sweaters for a yeah. while. And, um, <laughs> and so he auditioned and, and Macaulay didn't want him on the show. Oh, my God. So... When, when Carson's show goes off the air, when The Tonight Show with Johnny mm -hmm. Carson goes off the air, Jim McCauley now needs a job. Oh, boy. Jim McCauley went over and interviewed for a job on Dennis Miller's talk show <laughs> with Dennis Miller, <laughs> the guy he had turned down from... Oh. <laughs> there's, a guy, there's a guy, Jerry Bednob, an Indian comedian. Yeah. If I do an Indian accent, it's, this is okay. This is what he actually sounds like. <laughs> He'd be okay with this. Right. So um, Jim McCauley's now dying. This is like in the, somewhere in the 90s. He's dying of pancreatic cancer. Terrible, terrible disease. And um, they're putting on a benefit for him because he has no money. Mm -hmm. He has no money. Whatever he had, he spent. He doesn't have any, you know, he's lost everything. He has no insurance or whatever. And they're doing a benefit for him. And they go to Jerry Bednob, a guy who McCauley had just hated. <laughs> and they said, um, uh, we want to do a benefit. And Jerry said, tell you what. <laughs> Why don't you send me a tape of his cancer? <laughs> Let me take a look at it, and then I'll get back with you. Uh, so how'd you get from that guy and that scene to Lucian back in New York? Oh well, what happened? How do you even know Lucian? I knew you knew him when you finally came back from L.A. No, no. Well, no? First of all, I didn't come. There's okay. so much here. Okay. See if you can give it to me in two minutes. All right. <laughs> so in '84, yep. TV isn't interested in me i can't get right. any tv or movie work or commercial work but the clubs all want to hire me right so my we sell every, it's basically you know, the story of lost and it's the year before lost in america came out the movie with albert brooks yep. but we did that we sold everything bought a motor home took off we're going to tour the country i'm going to do work and what we're going to do with the work is um we'll save money and then we'll go buy a house someplace okay and uh we do that summer of 84 within three weeks we find out she's pregnant. 
Then four months later, she's got cancer. Yeah. And it just turns into that whole nightmare. horrible nightmare. Okay. And then I moved around a lot after she passed away. Right. Um, I, I lived in, I, I, I lived, uh, she was in the Detroit area. I lived in Northern California, back in Los Angeles, Northern California. I ended up in Chicago. And then in the early 90s, around 95, yeah. I end up with my mother back in my hometown. Because my son is now living with my sister right. next door to my mother. Okay. And I'm spending, I'm either on the road working or I'm visiting my son. Right. So I figure, well, why not live with my mother? And then when I'm not working, I'm already here and I've got to visit here. Right. And I did that until 2000. Right. And I had a manager who was down here, uh, Andrea Levy, and she goes, you should move to New York City. And I moved here when I was 45, it was 2000. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd met Lucian maybe once or twice. He didn't know me. I oh, didn't I, remember for him. some reason, no, I we thought you guys knew relationship. each other. Mm -hmm. And what happens is I go to the comedy store. She gets, now at this time, I'm working under the name Eddie Strange. Right. Name, Eddie Strange. Long, curly hair. Were you always that? But when, even in the Mitzi no, days? No, I, it was. You changed back and it, forth. It went back and forth. Okay. That's a separate story. Okay. But I'm working as Eddie Strange. And I go to the comedy. This is 19, this is 2000. Yeah. So the business right. is that it's, at it's. Nader. Death. Death. <laughs> Welcome to my world. It's like yeah. Wednesday night and there's like seven people. <laughs> yeah. And the comics are all bitter. There's only seven people. It's post it's 9 11. Oh, God. No, it's pre 9 11. This is 2000. Oh, 2000. This is, this okay. Is the I year it was before. Yeah. And so um, she, got me in a, she got me a guest set at the, at, the, at the comic strip. Right. So I go and do a guest set at the comic strip. Everybody's, you know. You know, this guy, you know, only seven people. And I'm, ooh, seven people. You know? <laughs> and I've been working in my mind for a couple of years what I thought a showcase set would be, mm -hmm. what a New York showcase set would be. Because the problem that road comics make is they think they take 10 minutes out of the road act or seven minutes out of the road act and do that as their show. It's That's not what it is. Too slow. It's a separate thing. So I come in and seven people knock it out of the park. I've worked seven audiences of seven you know for years for years yeah trust me it was a door deal there was seven people <laughs> so um i knock it out of the park i go out i'm standing out in the in the lobby area of the bar area of the comic strip Un unbeknownst to me it was an audition lucian was in the office in the back lucian uh, was very theatrical he wasn't he wasn't gay although he would right. tell you i once kissed a man <laughs> um, but he, he, he was very theatrical and, he, and i've always said he, it's like he came out of that office the door opens like he's like he's really bursting out of the closet. It's like <laughs> that was fabulous, absolutely fabulous. You've got to work here. He he immediately took me over to his book, like Bud had twenty some years before, gave me a spot that somebody had canceled on, and from that day until the day he died, I was on that stage. If I was in town, yeah, I was on that stage uh, six nights a week. That's great. And he changed my life. Yep. You know, he changed. And he also my told life. you to change back, huh? To he told me that. Yeah, he suggested I go back to Ross Bennett. Right. And uh, when, and I did, and I'm committed to it. I'm Ross Bennett. <laughs> <laughs> RossBennett.com. So now the other person, what, did you audition for Carson as the other person? No, no. As I Ross? worked as Ross Bennett. Oh, what did? happens okay. is when my, when my wife got sick, and I'm out there trying to work, I'm in, it's, 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 it's insanity, you know? And, yeah. I, and I was breaking down on stage. I was having difficulty. So I came up with the idea that if I came up with a persona, I could leave my personal life off stage and just come up and that Eddie Strange and it worked very, very well. I did a lot of colleges. It went very, very well. But then eventually uh, what ends up being a, a, a Band-Aid ends up being mental health issues. <laughs> <laughs> what is the biggest thing you see, the difference between comics back then and today? Is it that they work dirtier now or anything goes now? What is, after seeing it all and all the famous people now and famous people then, what can you... What is it? You've been you've actually made it through all of it. But well, first off, the great thing is yeah. that um, you can always hang out with comics. Yeah. No matter I don't care if they're eighty or if they're eighteen. You all have that you can, one thing. You all thing. have that same thing, yeah. you know? And uh, if you sit at the cellar at the at the table at the cellar mm -hmm. and Jerry Seinfeld comes in worth a half a billion dollars, <laughs> he's still got his piece of yellow paper yeah. and he's going over his sets and he's working on stuff and you can be talking about jokes. You can relate to any other comic, no matter how much money there's involved. He's not going to take the twenty-five bucks, though. Huh? He's probably not going to take the twenty bucks. No, know? he won't. Yeah. <laughs> he would tell you it wasn't worth his time <laughs> to turn around to pick it up. That's right. Um, <laughs> it's true. He said that in an interview once. He goes, "If there was, if there was five thousand dollars on that table over there, 
it wouldn't be worth my time to get up and walk over and get it. Yeah, that tells you everything you need to know about him, right? Yeah, no, well, you know, it's <clears> the <throat> thing is, what I, I love is, and Lucian always said this, the strength of him, besides his comedy and everything, was his laser focus. Yep. And his ability uh, to accomplish things. You know, and then you put on top of that, he's got a great sense of humor, a great vision. Yes. You know, so. Give uh, Neil your favorite. You got a favorite Lucian story? Uh, no. No. I'm not one of those <laughs> guys. so many. <laughs> I'm not one of those So guys. many great moments with Lucian that we all, um, we all, you, you became good friends at the end. He, like I said, for three years, yeah. I was thinking about coming over here. For three years, I had a best friend. I hadn't had a best friend since I lived in L.A., you know, when, you know, guys you would get high with, yeah. you know, and then when you stop, when you, when you go to, when you, once you go to a 12 step group and you stop getting high, your friends, all of a sudden, you don't have them anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Because apparently the only thing we had in common. <laughs> and his best friend was, um, Dennis Wolfberg. Dennis Wolfberg. Was he, he was a New York guy or an LA guy? I thought he was always an LA guy. Who? Wolfberg. Oh no, he was a New York, New York guy. guy. Yeah. Okay. Oh boy. Small world. Um, you, I want to sum this section up with one thing. You teach a class now. What is what is like the one thing? Like you can't teach somebody to be Greg Hahn, right? You know, like somebody crazy like that. But what do, what do you teach that? What's the essence what, of what you want to teach them? Be my yourself? class, it's 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 at the Manhattan Comedy School. Right. It's called Comedy Boot Camp. It's, Can uh, I tell people there will be no better teacher you take in this oh, world thanks. than Russ Bennett? It's, um, uh, the subtitle is Creating Material Through Writing and Performance. And so the whole thing is I, I try and get them to write organic material based on their, what they think. My theory is you got to work on what you think is funny. Right. Okay. And then you can get behind it. Right. You can't be out there. I won't hope they think it's funny. It's what <laughs> I think is funny. Right. I work on that. Now, I, I do hope they will think what I think is funny, but I got to start with what I think is funny to make what I do organic and real. Um, uh, what's the one thing that I tell them? Yeah, I mean, what's the one essence that you want to portray? If they're only going to take a class, I mean, some of them are taking a class, some of them want to do it, but what's the one thing you hope they leave with at the end? A joke. One joke. I want, if I can get them to leave with one joke that works all the time. Mm -hmm. That's okay, great. because I believe all of us when we're starting out, we got these ideas, we got this stuff, and it, like, like I said earlier, but the stuff isn't working all the time. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Then you get that one joke that works all the time. Remember what your first one was? Oof, uh, probably. <laughs> oof. He's still waiting. <laughs> <laughs> so you get Do you that. remember what it was? I'm still waiting. Yeah. Oh, man. So, no, no. You remember what my first joke was that worked that you remember of uh, mine? I don't know. Probably uh, something about my mother. Definitely okay. something about my mother. The, uh, I, think, uh, I think mine was a drug joke. was about um, uh, taking acid and going through the toll booths <laughs> in Chicago. And you know the acid's <laughs> kicking in. When uh, you throw the, the money in and you say, what the heck, I'll give it, I'll throw in a little bit extra. <laughs> so, I, so I threw in an extra dime. <laughs> and the, uh, the, the, the gate actually came up, swung around, shook my hand and said, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I want them to have that one joke because here's what happens. When you, I tell them you don't know what it's like. See, so many times they just want to be continually creating material that is occasionally working. Right. And I said, it's all about an act. Right. You got to have an act. You get an act. You got, if you got 10 minutes that where you get laughs on everything. You'll a work. Part, a part of you will come out on that stage mm -hmm. that will not come out any other time in your life. Okay. Because, you know, the, 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 the vulnerability that we're experiencing, that we're expressing requires complete love and support from the audience. Right. Okay. And if they're laughing for us psychically, that means they love us. And you can start to do things that you never thought you could do, but you need, and you all starts with one one joke that always works. For remember Smirnoff, yeah, it's the Jack in the Box joke. Oh Smirnoff, yeah, that always he works. had he had you know all these jokes, and you know he was very you know scattershot. This works, that works, whatever. And then he comes up with this one joke, which is um, this is Bruce Smirnoff, great comic. Uh, he goes, when I meet a woman, uh, she's she's always right before she snaps. When I meet a woman, it's uh, it's like a jack in the box, one note before it pops open. That's when I meet him, right there. <laughs> and it murders he gets every that, time. Yes. And now he can do anything. You have you have something that you can now hang the rest of your act on. Even if you have everything you had before and after is crap. <laughs> when you walk up on that stage, you know I got this one. 
You have more confidence. You have more balls. When you, once you have that joke, you have more balls going up to that joke uh, for the rest of your, for the, for the, for the three or four minutes before it. So that's what the whole thing. I always want them to get a joke that works. Awesome. Let's move on to our third one. We're going to do a hard corner. These are very good tips from Ross. We'll, we'll circle back a little bit at the it's end. It's hard to leave that corner. I know. It's <laughs> so good. Talking to Ross about comedy is like my favorite thing in the world. So well, it's there's so much more to explore in L.A. especially. I know. Well, let's uh, let's turn into a, a hard corner. We, Neil, we're going to go with your suggestion oh, for the week. Shit. Well, I guess we, we always go crazy. LA. We could. And the reason why it's good for Ross is because I thought, you know, he has seen fashion go from a lot of places from 60s on so now we can i can barely remember some of this stuff and but ross 60s 70s we're gonna do men's fashion as the third well, if you corner just go with comedy fashion was everyone when you were there everyone's in suits right no still, no it still was the the 80s was off. the suit with the rolled no, up they were sleeves coming off of that kind of where everything i remember like, i remember when that came and went yeah everybody you know, dressed that, like paula pounds that whole thing <laughs> <laughs> but you know the the um um I remember them going through different things. Myself, I always felt, because I was in the Army, I always felt you had to have a uniform. Right. So if you looked at my pictures, I had like a dozen different things I wore over the years. You know, mm-hmm. Since I moved to LA, from New York here, I always wear a jacket. Right. Because someone said I look like a teacher, and I figured what I'm actually doing every night is I'm auditioning for a part in a movie or TV show where I play a teacher. Mm. And so I always, that's what I always wear. Um, Did it work? Hmm? Did it work? I never got the work. <laughs> I never got the, the industry. But the work. persona was but perfect. But the persona yeah, was fine. But God damn it, I'm a teacher. <laughs> That's right. I ended up being a teacher. a teacher. He auditioned for his own part and got it. Congrats. Life's funny like that. Yeah, <laughs> actually, I wasn't their first choice. <laughs> but the 70s were, you know, it's, it's when, the, you know, everybody was clean cut in like the 60s. It was very mad men. And then it turned into. But what's Robin Williams is jumping up on stage with just jeans and shit, right? Because he's moving around. He, no, he always had a uniform. Electric, he wore, right? he had the, the rainbow. Rainbow, yes. Um, the suspenders. suspenders. And he always had a Hawaiian shirt. Okay, yeah. you know he 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 had a very very much of a vision as to what he was doing up there. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, and that's what they took that right to, uh, you know, his whatever his persona right to Mark and or Mark and Mindy because that's what he wore on the show. Well, I think it's kind of funny that because you do you do like you'll just casually go down to the cellar. Yeah, and you'll pretty much have whatever you have on. Well, it. I pretty much wear the same thing every time too. He's but, right. I mean, I wear the same like but then, t-shirt. But then you mm. go to the then you got to do a show and then you got to put a like a suit on. That's weird when you have to go do a Tonight Show or. But why Letterman. can't you just wear the same thing you wore? Because uh, they have rules. I mean, they want you to look good, and then for some reason. Suddenly, Letterman, who was a comic all this time, I don't know if he wore a suit on stage. You can tell us. Oh, no. He was always just, Cash. you know, very yeah. casual. Very yeah. casual. Yeah. But suddenly, it's like a big to-do. But it was a big to-do. Like, The Tonight Show, you had... People got dressed up for The Tonight Show. Nobody but was casual on The to Tonight Show. They told you on that they show. They say, like, dress nice. They Letterman said you had to wear a jacket. Right, Ross? I believe... I don't remember. Yeah. Letterman's like a jacket. I was going to. Yeah. Tie. And they. I think they relaxed the rules. No tie. I mean, that's why I saw. I remember saw a tell and he's in a jacket on Letterman. I'm like, boy, we've gone too far. I mean, if tells were in a jacket, you, you're just, killing the guy's persona. Some guys don't have that. Well, fashion in this business is so freaking hard because you have to do so many things where you, you're always trying to fit into something or like headshot fashion is the worst because that just reminds me of, you know, when you had what to you do your head, stupid your head. freaking headshots. Yes. No, you had to do you had to do like the. A, a casual, a, a nice one, a business. I mean, it was ridiculous. <laughs> that's right. Men's Some people do business like, ones. Well, I mean, you could always put on a suit and just be done with it. But in comedy, that's a that's a different thing. But 60s was like, for women, it was like Jackie Kennedy or Mad Men for men. You know, 70s well, was talking, Bell Bottoms. You're talking before or after uh, around the Beatles. That's right. Okay, I mean, up until the Beatles. Clean then cut. It's, then it's still clean cut. The right. Beach Boys are clean cut. You know, right. it's, it's clean cut. After the Beatles, then it starts becoming dirty, filthy hippies. By 69, by Woodstock, everybody's just like... Everybody smells. (laughs) You look at them, you're going, they must smell. A lot of hair. The hair all grew out. You know, that me, if you look at pictures of me in the 70s, it's long, like not long hair. I didn't have like a muller or anything, but it's like my hair was bushy. My, uh, you know, my two, I had tube socks pulled up to my knees. Not very high socks, you know, Keds. Whatever yeah. it was, you know, there was no sneaker world yet. It was garbage. It just looked dirty. Every sneaker kid looked world. dirty. <laughs> what, everybody could, well, what's your fashion now? Like, where do you shop? Now I don't do any. Now it's just t-shirt and jeans. That's all like, I do. Where do I, you go for? Like, you go to J. Crew. Like, where? What is your fat? What is your fashion now? I don't really. What do you? Bonobos do? for pants. 
What? You ever hear of Bonobos? Oh yeah, that's like it's a, a whole a, thing. It's like a catalog thing. It's a well, no, it's a fitted, it's a fitted thing. Yeah, my wife likes to tell Soho. people. Somebody said it's for guys with big asses. Oh, so, so I should go fit, there. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Wait, so, so that, that's your go-to place? That's for pants, and then uh, and then shirts, like whatever, t-shirt. Yeah. Just what you're wearing the same thing I've you've known you for twenty years wearing the yeah yeah I didn't even just, I forgot we're gonna you talk. always look like you're about to tee off fat. somewhere <laughs> no that's this, <laughs> is a, this is a golf fashion I would yeah. never wear this shirt I don't his know mom bought bought him I'm shirts the, for fifteen years I'm at the low point in my laundry right now I gotta bring it out <laughs> this is like a back this is a back drawer shirt what was it in the eighties I remember when I was in school it was Baggy. Miami Vice you know that was a little bit at the beginning um, and then it was like girls all wore leg those stupid leggings it was Madonna Madonna made every everybody's wearing those big bracelets and the oversized shirt everybody had things in their hair you know the yeah, leggings I think, well, I think it's hard to give up all the stuff that we grew up in which the 80s which was baggy clothes baggy clothes right it's, it's like hard to give up certain things and you know what I mean like it's hard to make the transition to be stylish keep being like, does that make sense? Like, we well, talk I mean, about- it changes. I'm like, I don't want to change. Once I got like something, you know, yeah. T-shirt and jeans is perennial. I'm just staying with it because every picture you take, it just ages the crap out of you, especially if you wear glasses. Right. Like in Ross and I and like you wear glasses, you your glasses go out of fashion. <laughs> the glasses I wore when I was 20 years ago, like I look like a complete nut, you know? Yeah, but it, it's the problem with fashion is it's like hard to like, do you? Do you adjust? Like, do you care now, or you just you're just stuck in your way now? I don't care. My wife cares that she, she doesn't does want to be care. seen with me. Oh, really? So you have to still like. Snap. You look at right there. You see that black thing right there that's sitting on the thing? Yeah, that's called rent a runway. That's a new thing. These girls, you could go online and go to this thing called rent a runway, and they 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 know their size. They know the thing. They have three runway stuff. She's renting it. Renting a runway, and it's like whatever a month. And you're doing and that? Then, no, God knows. Then she gets it to the house, tries it on, and goes, Holy. no, puts it back in the bag. And apparently this is driving doorman crazy, and the post office crazy because every girl is doing this rent-a-runway stuff. They wear it once. They put it back in the bag, send it back. They get a new shipment the next week so they can look different at work. Every day, it's nuts. Oh shit! I didn't know that you, was you and me. I can wear the same polo shirt and sweat. I wear sweatpants. What am I so doing? Nobody's seeing me. But so now you don't even buy your clothes. You rent them. I gotta get going. I See, this know. is why I wanted to do this topic because we're way behind. We're way off. Well, of this. you can get you could get a thing called Stitch Fix. I don't like. Hey, if you want to sponsor us, that's great. Stitch Fix. But you could, they'll send, same thing. A box every month. Send it to. If you want to keep the clothes, you keep them and buy them. If not, you put them back in the box. Send them back. It's like when you used to collect stamps. You would buy buy approvals. <laughs> it was like for really? like for like a buck. <laughs> yeah. For a buck you send some guy down in Long Island. Yeah. You know, high bedroom and <laughs> you get these approvals and they would come on a card and they all had like 2 cents, 3 cents, 5 cents and you'd pull off the ones you want and you send them the money for the ones you want and the other ones you just sent back. <laughs> sent on approval. Oh, for the for the stamp for the stamp Stamps. for stamp collection. Oh, yeah, shit. it's just they they stole the formula from fashion. Uh, well, no, I mean it's it's just huh? <laughs> no, it's like that's what we're doing now with fashion. We're just taking what we want. Yeah, that's back. why I brought it up. You know, you know, what <laughs> I, I was like, making the comparison. Yeah, no, right. I, but yeah. I just have a moment to mock. That's why I brought it up. <laughs> I know he does this all okay. time. Please take all <laughs> no, no, aim. No, I'll give you some more bullets if you want. No. Um, <laughs> the great thing about wearing a jacket in your persona is like you don't have to worry about that transition to like a show if you have to do a show or a corporate or anything. It's easy for you. This is what you do. I do that. I feel I can't even do comedy anymore. I feel like first off, me. A, a jacket for a guy is so cool because it's like a purse. You know, you <laughs> know, now you have like you have like six pockets. <laughs> so, you know, you go walk. Just wear a T-shirt. Yeah. And, and try and carry your cell phone or your keys. I know, right? You know what I'm saying? You can't shake hands with anybody. But <laughs> which is it's a good thing. Sorry, I can't take your, your advertising flyer. That's right. Well, that's good. I, yeah. But, uh, so, but my, my, first off, I've always held, been in contempt yeah. of whatever popular culture is. Right. Know, because I never felt I fit in. I'm, right. I'm like this classic outsider. I never feel I belong. I occasionally find something from the past that I thought was cool. Yep. Okay, but that's it. Um, so all I want to wear is the most basic thing that doesn't go out of style. So all I wear is I wear Levi's. I've got Docker mm-hmm. khakis. Right. That's Those are the only pants I have. They won't go out of style. I've got uh, uh, Rockport uh, boat shoes. Right. And I have uh, penny loafers and I have um, uh, wingtips. I have those three pairs of shoes. That's the only mm-hmm. shoes I have. And my shirt's, Long sleeves are all button downs, different colors. 
and uh, I have you know polo shirts, and then in the summer I'll have some flowered shirts. You should be teaching poli sci at Harvard. And that's it. <laughs> that's, that's exactly. Ev- and then I buy my jackets all at uh, thrift stores. Okay, so I can have you know I can have a dozen different jackets like that. Yeah. And then you buy one good jacket. <laughs> you know, when I say good, I'm talking Macy. <laughs> but you, you buy one, and it's got to be a classic blue. Uh, kind of a sport coat. It's not um, not really a sport coat. It's more of a. Uh, it's not a blazer. It's a sport coat, and that's all you need. And then I can add some ties. What do you think of these guys that walk around now in the now it's suits? Though the guys wear suits, but it's everything's it's, people are so gay that it's like the crop pants. You've seen the crop pants, no socks, it's crop. I mean, tight. Everything's really tight. The, everything's tight. I think it's silly. Yeah. You know, I, I always want to say, you shouldn't put that in the dryer. <laughs> I mean, you, what you should do is you send that out yeah. to dry clean, but they should never throw that wet in the dryer. That's you know, the look now. It's brutal. You know, I'm like, I've I'm seen, not and it's buying. been that way for a couple of years. Yeah, my uh, the Tonight Show, we had some a form of that. I refused to go like full out that, but they it was close. It was as close to that as you could that I could possibly be in just a little bit. And it if, works, but I'm never wearing that again. That whole thing, you could just throw it in the garden. The one you just wore? Yeah, never wearing that again. Here's If, 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 if I was able to do it, and, and I'm going to say this out loud so somebody else will do this because right. I'm not going to get The Tonight Show. I Just like David Byrne had the big suit. Yes. You should go on with a suit that's literally four ties is so small. The sleeves are coming up. <laughs> you can't butt. And it's just the tightest thing in the world. It's like Chris Farley. Okay. Huh? That's exactly Farley, it. Yeah. Everything is just extremely small. Yeah. And you just go out and you pretend Hi, everybody. like. You pretend, you pretend like that's the way it's supposed to be. Uh, that's good. Yeah. Um, what the, all, Neil has this thing is obsessed with the shorts, like men's shorts. He's right about this one. When we were kids, everything was those short basketball shorts, and yeah, then well, and then and then it went crazy to like the ninety, right? It was a yeah. seventy, maybe a little cut off jeans with the fringes, yeah. and then it went down to like long to the knees, and now very slowly, Neil's been calling this. It's going it a little gonna, bit we tight. Be there, but we're going it's, back. It's, it's, it's going I back thought up. We would already be there, so it's moving slower than I thought. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's all it's all the way back up. If you're if you're in the gay community now, you do not show up in a pair of shorts like I have. No. It's all pretty. Absolutely, the inseam. I have. That's tough. It's tough to get. I have that. two pairs of shorts. Also, yep. two pairs. That's it. Good job. But they're khakis, like cargoy type shorts. Like no, God, no. I do not. I will not wear anything that has pockets on the side of the legs. <laughs> You're like that. You know, so I don't. I talk, please. Well, that's it. That the pockets <laughs> on the side. Like, cargo pants were my. That was when I thought I was. That was the best. Like you said, you didn't need a purse. I had everything. I had my set list in one. I had the pen in there. I had the phone in there. It was great. Now those are gone. I look like a moron. You're right. I can't shake hands. I don't know. I don't know. I, <laughs> you got cargo? I, I used to. I can't. I can't, I can't walk now. and feel things flopping against my leg. <laughs> oh, God, I know it's the hard. only thing I want flopping against Do my it. leg when I'm walking. Do it, Ross. Thank Do you. It. Be here Boom. all week. All right. Let's move on to the last one. Now, Ross, I, I was I put together this quiz. We do quizzes on this show a lot. Am I leaving? Yes. Neil's okay. going to go into the soundproof booth. And I don't want to tell oh. Neil what it is. We don't even give him what it is. Go into Birdie's room. Okay. Slide the door. Is Birdie in the room? No, Birdie's okay. not in the room. Birdie, your, your child? Yep. And uh, is that her given name, Birdie? Birdie. Birdie May. That's sweet. B-I-R-D-I-E. It's named after my dad, Bernie. So but she, uh, my wife did not want Bernadette. Neil, I'm waiting to hear that door close. Neil likes to cheat. I'm going. Go ahead. All right. That was pretty good. Okay. So now I know you're a big film buff. And but Neil somehow pulls out these quizzes against people. I mean, I mean his record's like five and twenty-five, but he did knock off a PhD twice. Okay. So, so this quiz is. I know you're a film guy. I'm gonna give you members of the cast. You give me the film. Okay. Simple as that. We do it by time as well as whatever. But you know, most we have never had a tiebreaker that had to go to time. Neil Hems and Hawes, and uh, I have a feeling you're gonna uh, wax them. But let's do this. Ready? We'll put uh, time on the clock. Mm-hmm. Hello, we got. You got twenty questions. Here we go. And Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfus, Roy Scheider. Jaws. Yep. Dustin Hoffman, Anne Bancroft, Catherine Ross. The Graduate. Mary Astor, Sidney Greenstreet, Humphrey Bogart. The Maltese Falcon. Julie Andrews, Christopher Plummer, Eleanor Sound of Parker. Music. Yes. William Holden, Gloria Swanson, Eric uh, von uh, Stroheim. Sunset Boulevard. Scott Glenn, Jodie Foster, Anthony Hopkins. Oh, Silence of the Lambs. Very good. 
Jodie Foster, Sybil Shepard, Robert De Niro. Oh, Taxi Driver. Nice. Michael Bates, Patrick McGee, Malcolm McDowell. I'm going to, just as a guess, I'm going to go with Clockwork Orange. Yes. Richard Dreyfus, Terry Garr, Francois Truffaut. Oh, that would be uh, uh, Close Encounters. Nice. Lawrence Harvey, Angela Lansbury, Frank Sinatra. Manchurian Candidate. <laughs> William H. Macy, Francis McDormand, Steve Buscemi. Fargo. Look at this. We could get a, we wanna, nobody's, we've only had one other person do all 20, or two people. Jack Nicholson, Faye Dunaway, John Huston. Chinatown. Yep. Forget about it, Jake. <laughs> Harrison Ford, Karen Allen, Paul Freeman. Uh, um, that would be Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yep. Marlon Brando, Carl Malden, Lee J. Cobb. Uh, that would be um, On the Waterfront. Yep. Estelle Winwood, Zero Mustel, Gene Wilder. The Producers. George C. Scott, Carl Malden, Stephen Young. That has to be uh, Patton. Yep. William Holden, Alec Guinness, Jack Hawkins. Bridge and the Requi. Janet Lee, Vera Miles, Anthony Perkins. Psycho. Yep. Spencer Tracy, Sidney Poitier, Catherine Hepburn. Uh, guess who's coming to dinner? And our last one, Henry Fonda, Lee J. Cobb, Martin Balsam. Twelve Angry Men. Ho ho! <laughs> that was fantastic. <laughs> this is Steve Allen. <laughs> that was fantastic. All right, let me pause to get Neil back in here, and uh, he's going to get waxed again. Oh, poor Neil. All right, Neil. Is, you like Bertie's room? Damn. It is nice back there, right? Yeah. I know. Nice. She's got a great room. Better than my office. It took me like. Does she have a picture of here. David Cassidy on the wall? <laughs> Not yet. It took me a long time to get back here. Neil, apartment's you, huge. you're never going to believe this. Are I'm going to lose again? Yep. But Neil, you're a film buff, so I'm going to say that you got you work cut out for you, but I know you love film, so let's see how you do. Let's okay, do I'm going to give you the three actors. All you got to do is give me the movie as Ross, and I shit on you for not knowing. Wait, let me get my buzzer out. This is going to be so much fun. You're going to give me three actors, and I'm going to give you the movie. That's all you got to do. Just There we go. I'm getting it ready. All right, here we go. And you got to do it in like a minute and a half. Got it. The, 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 the answer to the first question is the Irishman. No, here ah. we go. Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfuss. <laughs> Dustin Hoffman, Anne Bancroft, Catherine Ross. Say that again. Dustin Hoffman, Anne Bancroft, Catherine Ross. Shit. You got to be kidding. This is your like your favorite director of all time. Dustin. And Anne, uh, this is all you talk about is this movie. Dustin. The graduate. Hoff, you suck. <laughs> you don't get that when I give up. <laughs> I, that was the two gimmies for you. Mary I Astor. Stuck, my head got it, stuck on Tootsie. Here it's all. Here's where it's going to end. Mary Astor, Sidney Greenstreet, Humphrey Bogart. Uh, Casablanca. Dang it. Oh, damn it. Yeah. The Maltese Falcon. There you go. <laughs> Sorry. Julie Andrews, Christopher Plummer, Eleanor Parker. Sound of Music. That's good. Bethel, good job. Bethel, I have to know that because Bethel would kill you. Yeah. William Holden, Gloria Swanson, Eric Jesus von Stroheim. What? These are famous movies. I know, Neil. but William on. Holden. It's funny because Bethel's mom. You was know here, this one and too. I watched Turner movie classics for like three straight weeks. Yeah. So I should get all these. You should. This one you definitely should hit, get. Hit me with it again. William I I Holden, it. Gloria Swanson, Eric von Stroheim. Written and directed by Billy Wilder. Mm, that I wish that would help. Uh, <laughs> Cecil B. DeMille makes a special appearance. Shit. Does he? Okay. I don't know. I didn't even have a guess. Tell him, Ross. Sunset Boulevard. Oh, Come on, you know that one. should have known that one. You better know this one. Scott Glenn, Jodie Foster, Anthony Hopkins. Mm, Times Lambs. There you go. This is a pretty good, this is a it's good quick. one. You yes. haven't done something like this. This is better than you usually come up Jody with. Jodie Foster. You're, Sybil, you're writing um, game show questions much yes, better now. I'm going to have to do that. You know why. <laughs> Jodie Foster, Sybil Shepard, Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro and Jodie Foster, taxi driver. Yes. Damn. Michael Bates, Patrick McGee, Malcolm McDowell. Psycho? <laughs> You're a goofball. <laughs> Clockwork Orange. Psycho. Richard Dreyfus, Terry Gar, Francois Truffaut. I knew this was coming up. Goodbye, girl. Oh, Close Encounters. You stink. Shit. Lawrence Harvey, Angela Lansbury, Frank Sinatra. <laughs> Murder, she wrote? No. <laughs> what? <laughs> 
<laughs> William H. Macy, Francis. She was a star. No one realized that she was a star before Murder, She Wrote. William H. Macy, Francis McDormand. Fargo. Okay. Ooh, I rallied. Jack Nicholson, Faye Dunaway, John Houston. Chinatown. Oh, nice. There you go. Harrison Ford, Karen Allen, Paul Freeman. Uh, wait, Harrison Ford? Oh, that's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yep. Marlon Brando, Carl Malden, Lee J. Cobb. Uh, all in the waterfront. Nice. Estelle Winwood, Zero Mostel, Gene Wilder. Uh, the producers? Yes. George C. Scott, Carl Malden. Did you miss any of them? George C. Scott, so. <laughs> Carl Malden, Stephen Young. Patton? Yes. <laughs> William Holden, Alec Guinness, Jack Hawkins. Bridge over River Kwan. Yes. <laughs> Janet Lee. I feel better about it. At least I'm going to yeah, leave feeling better about myself. You will. You're doing great. That's yeah. why you got to take it seriously from the beginning. Janet Lee. I was taking it serious. Janet Lee, Vera Miles. Psycho. Yes. Dang it. I knew it was going to come up. It was just a matter of guessing it. Okay, right here thing. we go. Spencer Tracy, Sidney Poitier, Catherine Hepburn. Oh. <laughs> That's my name is something. Uh, uh. My name is Mr. Tibbs. They, yeah, call, <laughs> they call me Mr. Tibbs. Dang it, I knew so it close great. and yet a little racist. Guess who's coming to dinner? Sorry, Neil. Wait, guess who's oh, coming to dinner? Shit. Henry Fonda, Lee J. Cobb, Martin Balsam. Uh, now we're back in trouble land. Come on, man. This Wait, say it again. Henry Fonda, yep. Lee J. Cobb. Grapes Martin. of Wrath? No, Damn what? I just heard Henry Fonda. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he make Grapes of Wrath? I think so. At yeah, one he point. did. 12 yeah, Angry Men. Yeah, same thing. Not bad, same though. Same movie, two, just different three, location. Four, five, six, seven. So you got 13. Yeah, I'll take that. Right, that was pretty respectful. I was pretty happy. Uh, Mr. Bennett got 20. I know, well, I didn't know. And our winner funny. is Ross Bennett. There you go. <laughs> Nice job, Ross. The way we end this show is one good thing, one bad thing of the week. I will start. I got a great tip for everybody. Uh, we, we had, you know, we hooked up. This place is a little weird because, like Neil was saying, it took them a while to get back from Birdie's room. So the yeah. Wi-Fi doesn't quite work as well here Uh-oh. from Verizon. But you can get a thing called Google Wi-Fi. It's a Google Mesh. They call it sometimes that. And you hook it to the Verizon. You have these little pods around the house. Is it and working? Now it's flying. Oh, wow. And you can hook a lot of devices on it. Who do you get it. your Wi-Fi through? Time Verizon. Oh, so right. it's like oh not, it, not Spectrum. Yeah, so it's plugged into that little white thing right Google there. Google Mesh? Google Mesh. It's called Google Wi-Fi. And if so, if you have dead spots in your house, whatever, no. Use this. You hook it up to that. You create your own little Wi-Fi. It creates its own little system. And your office Incredible. is like Wi-Fi. Lightning. You can, to the pod, I can plug instead of... Uh, it's for you, dead spots? Dead spots. It's for like older guys, they make underwear out of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's my tip of the week. Uh, Ross, you have Six one good G. thing or a bad thing of the week? That could be anything. Uh well, the good thing is that the Joker's coming out this weekend. Oh, yeah, that should oh, be yeah. fun. You know, and uh, and I want to see it. I'm, I'm a fanboy on this thing, so I want to see it as I heard soon Gary as Gary Goldman's going to make an appearance in that. In like, he goes to a comedy club, the Joker or something. In that. Oh, okay. I think there's a quick cameo of... I'm, probably, that's going to be fun. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't, it I, looks I, I super real. It does super... It's like crazy. They won't let people go to that movie in Joker face. Yeah. Because... No costumes. No, no costumes. costumes. Don't anybody shooting no, up. No you guns. Are. No guns either. Or you can bring a gun. No, no that's costumes. no. That's no problem. <laughs> yeah. Guns are fine. Oddly <laughs> enough, no makeup. The guns are fine. That's where we are that, now. That is our you country can, right there. In a know, nutshell. The concession stands, yeah. you know, are mostly closed, but, but they do have a gun store. Everybody yeah. is they, they armed going store. to this yeah. movie just in case some wacko Joker shows up. So they open the purse. They just yeah. take the lipstick, the, 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 the powder, but leave the big. Oh, I shouldn't be joking about this. Uh, Terrible. No, okay. Gets the joke. Please don't kill anybody at the stupid movie. Oh, I, well, my good thing. I have bad thing. I Go mean, ahead. good thing. It's bad. Actually, it's all bad. But okay. I, I have a lot of in people English. in my family are sick. So, uh, oh, no. but no one can figure anything out. I've never seen like these, all these, they're doing their own self doctoring. Like I've seen house on TV <laughs> and I, and he figures it out in like 30 minutes, but there's no one can figure anything out for Bethel's mom. My mom, everyone's just running around and no one knows anything. And it's, it's, it's super. They don't want to commit because then they'll get sued. I think it's that they know what's know. wrong I with these people. I feel like in general, the, the whole medical thing is it's, it's getting worse. Well, I think worse. what it is, is they diagnose somebody. And if then for some reason they don't, they come back, Oh, you didn't diagnose them. Right. So they kind of meander around the, the everybody prognosis. needs a Jewish mother. What you need is an enema. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have that's you that's gone lately? <laughs> If it's have fresh, you made lately? Have you made, did you make like on the Goldberg? When um, that's where we're almost at. Chicken soup. 
Chicken soup. Solve the, anything. Well, happy oh. Rosh Hashanah for all our Jewish friends out there. Chicken soup will solve chicken anything. Soup, the book Chicken Soup for the Soul. That will also the, help you <laughs> if you read that. Ross, thank you so much for coming in and doing Can this. I Ross Bennett, RossBennett.com. Yep. Twitter is at Ross Comic. And go. Oh, there's a dry bar comedy. Yep. Uh, my Your special is just, coming out. It just, it just was released, and it's really good. I'm and very Dry proud Bar of it. is usually clean as a whistle. It's all clean. Yep. Yeah. And that's it's going to play on your Facebook. Go. The, the name of my special is Comedy for the Rest of Us. Perfect. There you go. And Ross, buy that album. It's clean and funny. And he's one of the best yeah, comics working come today. In again, and we can. Uh, we'll more. tell you. We'll ask the next time you come. You got to just tell us story after story of famous people and fun times and stand up. Ross, thank you. All so right. Much. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll see you guys next week.